If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Today's conversation is going to be with Jessica Borshock, and she is the busy mind psychologist, and she's going to help us all get unstuck in our professional lives. Before we have that conversation, I just want to share with you that we're at a time of the year when a lot of board retreats happen. And, you know, we're recording this in January. I think this is probably going to air in late April-ish. And so I don't have a crystal ball, but if I'm a betting person. Many of us have not yet been vaccinated for COVID. If I'm a betting person, I've probably not been vaccinated for COVID yet. And one of the things that I know is that I'm not doing any in-person board retreats until I'm fully vaccinated from COVID. And I would be willing to bet that that's the decision most of your boards have made. Over the last 12 months, I've really ended up doing a lot of remote retreats, things that we never thought were possible. We're now doing by Zoom and WebEx and GoToMeeting. So if your organization is trying to figure out how you're going to pull off that June board retreat or that September board retreat, reach out to me. I would love to have a conversation. Now, let me introduce to you Jessica Borshock. First of all, listeners, you know, we schedule an hour for recording each episode, even though the episodes are only about 35 minutes long. And we're already 20 minutes into that hour because Jessica and I were having such a good time talking. As I've already said, she is the busy mind psychologist. And let me share with you, listeners, super impressive. She is licensed in two countries, in Canada and the United States. And she is an expert in acceptance and commitment therapy. She's also co-author of the ACT deck. And as I've mentioned, she helps professionals get unstuck and move forward in their life and their careers. Because, you know, at least in my own life, the things that have tripped me up in my career have typically been the things that have tripped me up in my life as well. And one of the things that I love, and as I spent time on her website, which is busymindpsychologist.com, and you know, I'll repeat that a few times at the end of this episode, but as I spent time on her website and reading about her and some papers and that kind of thing, one of the things that I love is she 
often uses this one powerful question. If you weren't stuck, what would you be moving toward? So with that powerful question in mind, we are going to move toward Jessica and this conversation. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I've known you for such a long time because we've just been spending so much time talking before we got to record. I'm really happy to be here. So I will just apologize now for oversharing, but um, let me start by asking you this really, really important question, because I don't want to make the assumption that all of our listeners understand what acceptance and commitment therapy is. You know, there's a lot of different modalities, like you and I were talking about cognitive behavioral therapy immediately before we actually hit record. So what is acceptance and commitment therapy? That is an excellent question. And to be honest, it's something that's only becoming known in mainstream recently, even though it's been around for multiple decades. It has a ton of research backing to it. And I like to think of ACT in a couple of ways. The first is how it differs from other types of traditional therapies. So for a long time, there was this idea of you had a negative thought. You'd like take it out, you'd change it, and you'd put it back in, kind of like you're changing a part on a car. The difficulty is that's not actually how our mind works. Our mind creates neural connections and it doesn't just, we don't just snap our fingers and delete those connections. What we do is we make more connections. So what ACT does is it doesn't say that there are thoughts or feelings that are good or bad or right or wrong, but it's saying, how do we respond to those thoughts and feelings? How is that problematic? So for example, if I have a thought you know, I'm never going to make a difference in the world. Well, if I believe that thought to be true, then it's going to really limit what I do in my life. Because, well, if I don't believe I can actually make a difference in other people's lives, maybe I'm not going to be working on building a nonprofit or doing service. And so what ACT really helps us do is take a step back and notice what are the patterns that we find ourselves getting in? What are the thoughts, feelings, memories, and physical sensations that show up? And I like to think of them as hooks. Like, we all got hooks, but what our goal is is to not bite them. So when we bite those hooks, it yanks us off in a different direction, and we no longer are in control. And my goal is to help you notice those hooks, notice those loops that are keeping us stuck, and learn how to interrupt them so that you can move towards the things that really matter to you. And that's the important part at the end of the day. It's not so we feel less stressed or less worried or or less down. It's so that we can then go out and live the best life possible for ourselves. I love that metaphor of, of loops because we've all at one point or another, if we're honest with ourselves, found ourselves in that loop. And not only that, we know Certainly after the first few cycles, we know where that loop is headed. And yet it's almost like you're on the roller coaster and you can't stop it. Exactly. Yeah. Once we get kind of sucked into there, it's kind of this like self-feeding loop. It's kind of this closed loop that's really hard to jump in there and interrupt. I like to think of it as like jumping down the mental rabbit hole. We don't know how deep it is. We don't know how dark it is. But we know that once we get down there, it's really hard to jump really high and find our way out. And so if we can kind of take a step back and notice, okay, what's that first thought that shows up? And then what What is happening in that moment? Am I going into my head and analyzing, planning, overthinking things, imagining all these what-if scenarios? 
Or am I doing things in my life to try to hide away from those experiences? Watching TV, avoiding work, not sending that email, not responding to our friends, eating a bunch of cookie dough. Uh, And then once we can kind of break that down, we can begin to see where we can interrupt that pattern. And what are some of the ways we interrupt that pattern? So it's very simple but it's not easy. <laughs> and, and I'm going to say it and I and I'm going to say a statement but then I want to follow up with it. So don't go don't just get dismissive as soon as I say it, but it really is about feeling the feels. And there might be a part of us that's like, "Oh, wait a second. So you're just telling me I have to like grin and bear it or like suck it up or deal with all the difficult stuff." And that's not what I'm saying at all. A lot of times we get stuck in that loop because we have a painful thought that shows up or a painful feeling, or maybe there's that sensation if we're experiencing panic or stress. And it's natural to want to move away or escape from that feeling. But the hardest thing to realize is that life involves pain, but what it doesn't need to involve is suffering. And suffering comes from when we try to never experience any pain. Suffering comes from the worry about worry and the stress about a future problem that hasn't even happened yet. And so one of the best ways to reduce suffering in our life is to acknowledge that there's pain there and to learn how can we create space for some of these thoughts and feelings. Not like them. We don't have to like them. We don't have to want that they're there, but to acknowledge, hey, this stuff is here anyway and it's connected to what matters most to us. So that's a really important point that if you're feeling worried about something or stressed about something, I'd ask you what in that is meaningful to you? What is it poking at that really matters to you? And can we use that in order to be willing to experience some of the pain in service of that thing that matters so much to us? Fascinating. And so help me understand like, what that actually looks like in an actual loop. Like obviously, you know, let's anonymize it, but what does that look like in an actual negative loop that someone's in? Yeah. Dolph, are you willing to to share maybe a thought or feeling that shows up for you that you struggle with? Oh gosh. Um, So I'll share with you, sometimes this happens, and I think this happens to all of us, but I've certainly seen this happen with me, where... I'll have a conversation with someone in during the day. And then as I'm getting ready to go to bed at night, that conversation will start to roll through my head. And suddenly I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I'm not quite as happy with that conversation as I was. And one of the things you don't know about me, Jessica, is from a very young age, I was an insomniac. And I have worked so hard on sleep hygiene. And I almost every night now get seven to eight hours a night of sleep. But if that loop kicks in, mm-hmm. I can promise you it's a three-hour night or a four-hour night. And to be honest, you're not alone. One of the reasons that all these thoughts and worries wait until we've our head has hit the pillow is because that's the first time throughout the day that we've maybe stopped. It's been waiting all day long to freak out about something, and now it's like, oh, we have your attention. Let's throw the whole kitchen sink at you. So you put your head down and your mind starts going, maybe I said something weird in that conversation, or or maybe I didn't approach that conversation in the way that I wanted to. What's, What's the worry in there? 
What's the worry in there? Yeah. What? Why are you going through that conversation? What are you trying to find out or or Got identify? It. So often, what I'm doing is I am thinking forward about the way in which I need to handle that in the coming days. Okay. So there's this sense of like something needs to be handled. There's some kind of problem. Right. Right. And and, and so you know so then that loop right is then I'm like okay I'm gonna here's how I'm gonna handle it. No. Now here's how I'm gonna handle it. No. Now here's and like literally. But then at some point you've gone through all the iterations of how you might handle it. Typically in 15 minutes or less. And now you're just cycling through all those iterations. Oh, I'm gonna do this. Wait. There's this negative. What about the and literally. Um, that's a three-hour night if it happens. I love what you just said there because there's there's two pieces to that. A lot of times people who struggle with busy minds are really excellent problem solvers and analyzers. Their strengths lie in being able to organize content in their mind, pick apart ideas, plan for things. And the difficulty is your mind then uses that as a default. So your mind defaults to analyzing and planning and and looking through situations because you do it all day long in, in your work. And yet there's an important piece in there that you mentioned, which is I spend 15 minutes going through things. And do you find that first 15 minutes helpful? Like, does it give you a plan of action of what to do? So. Interestingly enough, typically not, but that's also kind of the way my mind works, which which I better understand now. So typically, what I work best with is coming up with three, four, five solutions, and then letting them percolate for a few days. And then two, three days later, like, but again, like not, not actively thinking about it, just let it percolate. And every now and then I'm like, oh, well, what about this? What about that? And then two or three days later, I actually have a real sense of, well, what's, what's an authentic way forward for me is this. Awesome. So that first 15 minutes really just takes the couple options, puts them in your head, sets them to work in the background, mm -hmm. and then over the next couple of days, they're working for you. Right. When everything works well, when the loop doesn't kick in. <laughs> yeah. And so what's happening next is that worry about maybe we've missed something, maybe there's, there's you mentioned pros and cons to all the issues. We start going through them. And in that moment, you might not agree with me, but I imagine there's a piece in there where like it feels good or it feels productive, like you're figuring out a problem. The difficulty is it's just keeping us in this loop. And so I always ask myself two questions when I'm kind of stuck in this loop. One is, am I learning any new information? Usually when we're thinking through something more than once or we're thinking through something by ourselves, we're not taking in any new information that can help us learn something or come up with a better outcome. And then the second question is, did I come up with a new solution or plan or outcome that's workable? So for those first 15 minutes, you're generating ideas and that's very useful to you and your thought process and how you work through ideas. But the next multiple hours that you spend in your head, one, you're not getting any new information because you're just kind of stuck reviewing the same thing over and over again. And you're also not coming up with new ideas to put in your head. And so that's the point where we want to interrupt. And what that looks like is first simply noticing that it's happening. We love jumping to the doing part of our work. <laughs> it feels productive, it feels like we're doing something, it feels like we're moving forward, but we can't interrupt loops that we don't see. 
So if uh, I was working with a client who struggled with the same thing, what I would recommend first is helping them pinpoint that point where it transitions from being helpful to being unhelpful. And just watch what happens and watch what happens even as you try to get out of that loop. What's pulling you back in? Maybe it's worry, it's anxiety, it's just like anxiousness. Maybe you're wide awake now and so your mind's just churning. And then once we get a picture for that loop, we get an idea of what the process is. Then what we want to do is start to interrupt it in the moment. And so that might be really saying something like, no, this isn't helpful. Hmm. Been down that rabbit hole before. I know what it looks like. And I might even say it out loud to ourselves. Maybe we don't want to wake up our husband or right. something like that. <laughs> so we, might, we, we whisper it to ourselves. But there is something about hearing our voice mm-hmm. out loud of being like, No, that's not helpful because the first step in breaking the loop is realizing it's not actually serving us. In the short term, it feeds something that makes us feel like we're being productive. Maybe it feels like we're getting to escape from something that feels uncomfortable um, or it feels like we are solving a problem and that's kind of exciting. But in the long term, all it's doing is keeping us in the loop. So if we can really honestly look at our experience and go, look, this isn't working for me. And it's not because I'm not like a good problem solver. Like I've, I've got that skill down. It's because like this is just not the approach to take. When we can really reflect on our, our experience and notice that, then we can begin to interrupt it. And if we have trouble at that point, then we want to say, okay, what are some thoughts or feelings that show up in that moment that feel very uncomfortable? So maybe maybe there's this worrying thought like I've missed something. And at that point, it's practicing, how can I sit with that thought and notice that it's just a thought? We have thoughts all day long. We have thousands of thoughts all day long. And that thought doesn't have any extra power. It doesn't even know anything that you don't know. And just acknowledging, like, that's just a thought that popped into my head. And finally, we want to redirect our attention to what's happening in the present moment. Um, Maybe the feel of you know, the bed underneath you, like, you know, supporting your body or how cool it is in the room or, you know, what it feels like for your limbs to get heavy. All right. So what I'm hearing is tell yourself, preferably out loud, but quietly so you don't wake anyone up. This is not helpful. And then really allow, if a thought comes in, allow it to come in, but don't give it ground to grow. And then reground yourself in your body and where you are spatially in the world. Exactly. What's happening when we get caught in a loop is our mind is time traveling, either to the past or to an imagined future. And so what we want to do is bring ourself back to the present moment because we can plan all we want, but we actually can't implement anything outside of this moment right here, right now. Right. And I also have to say, laying in bed is a terrible time to try to implement anything. It's a terrible, terrible time. It's not why you're in bed. By the way, listeners, some people, since Jessica has a PhD in psychologist and is a licensed psychologist, some people call her Dr. Jessica. So I'm just going to say, Dr. Jessica, thank you. I'm actually going to try that. And I'll share with you, I think that might be more helpful than what I would traditionally do. So let me tell you what I would traditionally do. Traditionally, I'd lay there for about 30 minutes. And typically, if I'm not asleep in 30 minutes, this is true over almost anything, I get out of bed because I'm like, all right, clearly, I'm not being productive laying here, so I need to get up. So I'd get out of bed, and then I'd get my laptop, 
And um, I'm a word game person. And so I'll do like the New York Times spelling bee or the New York Times crossword. Or um, they also have a letterbox game. Listeners, if you're a, if you're a word game person, the New York Times letterbox game, off the chain. I love that game. So I'll do one of those. And then I'll close the laptop and I'll go lay back in bed. But the problem is that doesn't actually interrupt a loop. If there's anything else that's keeping me from going to sleep, that's a great exercise. Because, you know, I'm like, oh, do do dum dum day let me play spelling bee. But if it's the loop, that doesn't work ever. And that is why so many people just try to distract themselves. And they distract themselves all day long. But the truth is you can't run away from yourself. And those thoughts and feelings exist inside of you. And so you can push them off a little bit, right? We could take a nap. We could binge watch TV. We could play you know, a letter game. We could even call a friend and do something that, or exercise, do something that feels productive. But if we're not taking the time to acknowledge what's happening and take the step to catch where our mind has gone and redirect our attention to the present moment, it's going to keep coming up. And to be honest, it will at the beginning. This skill of noticing your mind has gone to the past or to the future, interrupting that and bringing it to the present is not normal for how our brain's been developed. Our mind is a threat detection system. And if there's not like a lion right in front of us about to attack us, our mind goes looking for problems. It's the way that it tries to keep us alive. The difficulty is, your mind can come up with an endless amount of what ifs. It's it's a primitive system in a modern world. And so at first, this skill is going to feel very clunky, but that's just because it's new. But if we can begin to practice it and get smoother at it, then eventually we'll be able to interrupt those thoughts very quickly and bring ourselves back to the present. So I have another question for you. You can tell me whether this is a good strategy. I've not done this, by the way. So, I'm, so this is not a trick question. I've not tried this. But at this moment, as we were talking, I was like, wow, this also might be a really good strategy. So, you know, I've obviously just said I like to play like word games and things like that. I'm relatively verbal, both um, in the spoken word and also in the written word. Would it be helpful, for example, when I am like laying in bed, I'm like, okay, it's been 30 minutes. If I were to get up and go sit down at the table and write it out and go, okay, I'm thinking about these three options. And then kind of write out, okay, Dolph, you have your three options. See you tomorrow. And go put it in the drawer and go to bed. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, I will tell you what will happen is you'll get back in bed and your mind will go, wait, what were the three options? Oh, I don't know. I think there's a problem with that. And so that is still the point when we're going to go, nope, we wrote down the three options. We know going down this mental rabbit hole is not helpful. Like, good night. Uh, But that can be really helpful. Another way, you mentioning even the letters, if we're really struggling with a thought, one of the things that can be helpful to really just see it as just a collection of words is if you maybe really love crosswords or you love letters and word games, picture it as little word tiles in your head. And then imagine just moving around the letters or moving around the words in order to see that they're just letters. They don't actually mean anything. They don't know something that you don't know. Right. Oh, my gosh. I love that. So first of all, I have to share with you, Jessica, this is super helpful. Thank you. Like, And, and it is funny because I would say 29 nights a month, I get seven to eight hours of sleep. And one night a month, I get three or four. Because, And by the way, again, it did not used to be that way. It used to be, you know, maybe 
maybe two nights a week, I got seven to eight hours. So there's a lot of work I've done on it, but it's still, there's like this vestige of that loop that will jump in and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dolph, you slept too well for too long. And I think that's wonderful that you've done so much work. And it didn't happen overnight. It happened with small steps, implementing different skills. I like to think of it as an experiment. If you're listening to this and you're like, that will never work for me, give it a try. Like an actual honest try, not, you know, a, like, oh, I tried it. <laughs> and and notice what happened. It's not magic. I'm not waving a magic wand and just like making all the bad thoughts disappear. That's not how this works. But it's giving us the practice of noticing when our mind has gone somewhere else, acknowledging that going down that rabbit hole, getting sucked into that loop hasn't served us in the past, probably won't in the future, and then bringing us back to the present. And if we can, not simply bringing us back to our body or to what's going on in the moment, though that can be very grounding, but also connecting with what's important in the moment. And important doesn't mean fun or exciting. Important could be, I need to send this email because in order for someone to get services or in order for me to move forward with a, a trip I have planned, I need to send this email. And so it's important to me. But connecting in this moment with something that's meaningful to you. I love that. And so, first of all, I feel really selfish because we just had this great conversation about an issue that I have about once a month. And, you know, we're rapidly, we're rapidly burning through the 35, 40 minutes that we try to be on the podcast in an episode. But obviously, this is one of the ways that sometimes professionals get stuck. But then there's other ways, like you mentioned, like, for example, there's a lot of professionals who just have a really hard time clicking send on an email. And so a draft will sit in their Outlook or their Gmail for a week. And whoever's supposed to get it is like, why hasn't this person responded? What's wrong with them? Well, procrastination is a, uh, a, a man, it's like the killer of dreams, honestly. <laughs> it, uh, it, 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 keeps us, it keeps us stuck. And honestly, if we think about it, it works very similar to the loop. It, it is another loop. Maybe we get nervous that we spelled something wrong or, oh, I don't know if I address this the right way or if I, I'm going to think on it a little bit, right? We, we allow ourselves to delay it first. And then over time, this small task starts to associate all this meaning to it and it becomes really big and really important. But what's happening is you have the small pain or the small nerve of actually sending the email but now you have weeks of anguish thinking about not sending the email. And I imagine every time you actually press send on the email, there might be little nerves, but there's also a part of you that goes, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Like I could have done that weeks ago. I should have done that weeks ago. And what's happening in that moment is some kind of fear or worry is showing up. Maybe it's worry that we don't sound right or that we're not helping or we want to get it just right, um, this idea of perfectionism. And this idea is so uncomfortable that we put it off and we put it off and we put it off. And similar to sitting with a thought, one of the ways that we move through this is one, identifying that feeling that shows up. And we might not even identify it in terms of labeling it like, I'm worried that I'm going to sound stupid. <laughs> But I might ask you, where do you feel that worry in your body? Is it a rock in your gut? Is it a pressure on your chest? And really describe it, picture it. Maybe it's like a fat cat sitting on your chest uh, with its head pressed against your throat. And practice simply sitting with that feeling for a moment. Not 
holding your body very tense, but breathing in and out, and proving to yourself, I can feel uncomfortable and send the email. Because that's what happens. Your mind tells you, I need to feel ready to send the email in order to actually send it, right? Or I need to feel motivated to work on this project in order to actually work on it. Or I need to feel confident to have this discussion with a donor in order to actually have the conversation. But the truth is, if we wait around for our feelings to magically change, we're going to be waiting for a really long time. And so that's where we draw on values is we, we pause and we ask ourselves, what's important to me in this moment? Well, this work I'm doing matters. You know, the people I'm helping, the people I'm connecting with, I really have a dream and a vision and I do want to make this a reality. And so can I pause in that moment? acknowledge that feeling, realize it's not the end of the world, but it doesn't feel good, and send the email anyway. My personal mantra is done is better than perfect. And I did not make that up. I I do not know whose quote it is. It's been circulated so many times. But that is what I keep at the forefront of my mind and what I intentionally practice. And I can tell you, sometimes it's very cringeworthy to send something that doesn't feel perfect. And yet that action helps me move forward way more than trying to reach perfection ever did. So I got to share something with you. Once again, apologize, listener, this is kind of personal. But before we came on, I shared with you that in my late teens and early 20s, I had some obsessive compulsive traits. I did not have a DSM diagnosis, but I had some obsessive compulsive traits. And that's one of the things that I know about myself. And so much along the lines of the email, I've often had to develop triggers that enable me to just do it. And so for email, one of the things that I use, and I get a ton of email, I probably get and send over 100 emails a day. Like, and I don't mean junk email, I mean actually have to write at least one or two sentences, sometimes a few paragraphs, and send. And so I started using sand timers because I'd almost gamify it and I'd be like, okay, I think this is a three-minute email and then I turn it over. And you know, even if the sand runs out and it takes me three and a half minutes, I still know I got to click send. I just got to get this done because my sand is gone. Yeah. And I work with clients all the time where we will say, I'm like, freak out about it all you want. But at the end of the day, the email is sent. And that's the rule. So you can avoid it all day long and then send a sloppy email. You can spend 10 minutes on it, set it to the side, come back to it, review it and then send it. But it must be sent by the end of the day or it must be sent within an hour. And then over time, we start closing that gap. But it is never going to feel comfortable at the beginning. And I think that's a big myth that if we're doing something that matters to us or we're passionate about or that is like the right decision, that it's going to feel good or comfortable. And the truth is, if we're doing things that matter to us, sometimes we're stepping a little outside of our comfort zone and it's it's not going to feel good. (laughs) And that is normal and okay. And I'm guessing this is true whether we're talking about procrastinating sending an email, writing that report calling that board member that maybe you don't have a great relationship with. I'm guessing this is true for all of those. Exactly. And I like to think of it as practice. Can I practice the skill of being uncomfortable and doing it anyway? Because our mind can come up with a million different reasons why we can delay something. It's really good at that. And I'm including my mind in this statement. And so 
Think of it less as it's so important that I send this email or I make this phone call right this second, but rather it's important for me to build up the skill of being uncomfortable or being nervous and putting myself out there anyway. Because what that's doing is in that moment when you're feeling nervous about sending the email, your mind's viewing this as a threat. It can't tell the difference between a lion and a like email virtual lion. Yeah, literally a paper tiger, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly, a paper tiger. It cannot tell the difference. It, it's not built that way. And so if you don't send the email and you delay and you live, what happens is you've accidentally taught your mind that it worrying about that is actually helpful. It thinks it just helped you survive a paper lion. <laughs> and by feeling nervous and still sending the email and over time with repetition, so doing this over and over and over again, you teach your mind, hey, this isn't something we have to be worried about. This isn't something that's a threat. And that is the important part. It's not about that one email. I'm sure there's a point where you delay long enough that it, like, it is about that email. <laughs> but it is about proving to yourself that I cannot feel ready. I can feel like it's not perfect. I can feel like I'm going to sound stupid and I can show up anyway. And that is a, such an important skill to constantly work on and foster in yourself because it's going to help you move forward in so many incredible ways um, in both your pre professional and personal life. Well, Jessica, I know you've got some time limits because you've got patients that are coming in after we talk. So yes, I yes. <laughs> definitely have to move us to the off the map question. By the way, I think you and I have some similar traits, just FYI, because I read in your bio that you read about a book a week. So for my off-the-map question, I would love to know what is the best book you read in 2020 and would recommend to our listeners? Ooh, that's, I, for anyone who can view the video, I have a huge bookshelf behind me and it's only a small sampling of the books I have. So that's difficult. This, it actually, I'm going to say a book that I have reread recently that I picked back up that is really wonderful. And I actually don't even have it on my bookshelf right now because I lended it out. I loaned it out to someone because it's, it's a book I'm so passionate about, which is, it's a book called The Neighborhood Project by David Sloan Wilson. And David Sloan Wilson is an evolutionary biologist, uh, my favorite evolutionary biologist, if you're allowed to have one of those. And uh, he does work on great group level selection. So a lot of us know individual level selection, which is simply survival of the fittest. And yet group level selection talks about how we, what kind of factors, what kind of parameters need to be set in order to create altruistic, mutually beneficial groups. And he talks about this concept through doing all of these little experiments in his neighborhood and community. And it's a fun book to read. It is a hopeful book to read. And you learn a lot about how we can all begin to create better communities. And that could be your neighborhood. It could be the population that you're serving. It could be your own team or board uh, in terms of your business. But how we can create 
the environment to make sure that everyone is thriving. And uh, it's a book that I've come back to time and time again, and I absolutely love it, and I love his work. And uh, yeah, I, I hope everyone goes out and reads it and then lets me know how it goes. So Jessica, I... um. Unlike you, I read about three quarters of a book a week because one of my guilty pleasures is I don't finish the vast majority of books that I read. But I will, I really don't. Once it gets repetitive, I'm done. And that's typically three quarters <laughs> of the way in. But um, but I will add that to my reading list and I will let you know when I've either finished reading three quarters or finished reading it entirely. And we're also going to link to that in the show notes. And it's The Neighborhood Project. Yes, The Neighborhood Project by David Sloan Wilson. Awesome. I will make sure we link to that and I will pick up a copy myself. Jessica, our listeners, I know after this conversation, our listeners are like, I need to get in touch with Dr. Jessica. So listeners, you can go to busymindpsychologist.com. Let me tell you something really cool you can do there. You can take a quiz to learn what type of busy mind you are and receive a free personalized workbook. I want you to know I went and took that quiz. It's only five questions. It's really easy. And by the way, I think the quiz, I was sort of surprised because I'm often a little doubtful of these types of quizzes. I think the quiz was dead on because it called me a recovering perfectionist. Jessica, (laughs) you nailed it. You nailed it. So if you want to know what type of busy mind you are, go to Busy Mind Psychologist, take that quiz. It is super easy. In the process, you're also going to sign up for Jessica's email newsletter. And also, I want to make sure you know that Jessica has a Busy Mind Reboot course. It is only open two or three times a year. But while you're there, make sure you sign up for the list so you will know when it opens up next time. The other thing I want you to know in terms of where you can go to find Jessica is Instagram. And you guessed it, it's on Instagram at BusyMindPsychologist. And there, you can connect with Jessica personally. You can learn tips, strategies, personal examples on how you can get unstuck from your busy mind. And then the last thing is she also has a YouTube channel, and it's called Busy Mind Psychologist, and we will also link to that in our show notes. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. I love having these conversations, and I'm so glad we got the chance to connect and share some information that hopefully helps your listeners. Awesome. And listeners, if you missed the URL, Busy Mind Psychologist, or just don't feel like you can write it down right now because you're holding on to the pole on the subway and you're like, yeah, I don't want to fall, don't worry about it. Go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and we will have all of the links that we've talked about, including the Neighborhood Project, Jessica's Instagram feed, Jessica's YouTube channel, and of course, her website, BusyMindPsychologist.com. Also want to make sure you remember that if you're trying to figure out that board retreat, In 2021, now's a good time to reach out to me at SuccessfulNonprofits.com as well, just to make sure that if you're interested, we can get it on the schedule. And if you thought today's episode was off the chain good, and while I feel a little selfish, I sure do feel it was off the chain good, there's two episodes that I want you to be thinking about. The first one is episode 179, Proven Ways to Feel Happier at Work with B. Bocalandro. If there are times that you're like, I know I work for a good mission, but I just don't feel happy, 
you should check that episode out. And then also episode 51, the one thing necessary to succeed in organizing your organization and in your life. That, dear listeners, is our show for today. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And you know, I always have to say, I'm not an an accountant nor an attorney. And since today we also talked about some issues which do touch on another licensing, I'll also remind you, I'm also not a licensed clinical social worker or a licensed psychologist. So, having said that, This show is provided for informational purposes only and is not designed to provide legal, tax, accounting, or mental health advice. Please, if you feel like you would benefit from any of those types of professional services, find the right professional who is licensed to work with you.